Sunday, May the 1st. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. We're in the book of Hebrews and we're in Hebrews chapter 3 and I'd love you to turn to it and have it open in front of you. I think just having those verses there will be a real help. The first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3. And let me explain to you why we're there. Chapter 1 was all about head and heart. You remember that? And we used that as our kind of launch pad into Easter. So when we celebrated Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we were thinking about how do I engage with my heart? How do I love the Lord my God with all of my heart? That's where it begins, isn't it? Love the Lord my God with all my heart. How do I engage with my heart? And that's what we've been thinking about. And we did pick up some of the themes in chapter 2 because chapter 2 is all about Easter. It's all about Jesus being the sacrifice for us. And so now we're into chapter 3 as we make our way through this book that invites us, both in the first verse here in chapter 3, but this book that invites us from beginning to end to focus on Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. This is the theme of the whole book, that we would fix our thoughts, our eyes, our head and our heart on Jesus. Now that's where the challenge comes right from the get-go. What have you been focused on this last week? It's not in any way for us to feel guilty about that. But it's just for us to acknowledge where our heads and our hearts get drawn. And every time our heads and our hearts get drawn away from a focus on Jesus, we begin to lose the beauty. We begin to lose that centeredness that we are in him and he is in us. So this last week, what have you been focused on? Can you see it? Can you name it? Can you recognize that which has drawn you away from being focused on Jesus? It's not a guilt thing. But if we acknowledge what's going on in our heads, but in particular in our hearts, then we can take ownership over it and say, actually, I I see that, I hear that, but I'm laying that to one side because the call of God for me, me being who I can fully be, is to be focused on Jesus Caught up in his beauty, as we were praying some moments ago, his beauty that changes everything. Turn your eyes, as we used to sing, upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. See the the beauty, the radiance of who he is. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light 
of his glory and grace. Because as we look to Jesus and see his beauty and who he truly is, so everything else finds its rightful place. And I'm sure that's what you long for your life as I do for mine, that everything would find its rightful place. You with me? That things wouldn't be upside down and topsy-turvy. That things wouldn't be the wrong way round, but that everything would fall into place. And that's what communion, of course, is about, isn't it? It's about that call to come back, to remember, to fix our gaze, to fix our thoughts on Jesus. That's the, that's the call on our lives. So Jesus says, go out, do your stuff, and then circle back and remember. Then circle back and break bread and drink wine, that you might be rooted and anchored in who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he will still do. And we have that word confess in slightly older translations. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. So the, uh, uh, an NIV of a few, uh, of a decade ago would say, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we confess. Now, now confession is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Whom we confess, because it's written in a context when people were being challenged about their Christian faith, and to confess Jesus in that persecuted environment was to give Jesus everything. It wasn't a very shallow thing, well, I just give intellectual assent to who Jesus is. To confess Jesus was to give my all for him, even if it costs me my life. And there are some amazing stories, aren't there, of the, in the early church of, of people being ready and willing to confess Jesus, even though it would cost them the whole of their life. So there's this, this sense in these verses that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus and, and to confess him. It's all in. It's all, all of who we are to confess him, head and heart, attitudes and actions, all in to confess and honour Jesus. Now notice the two things there in verse 1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. We acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So focus on Jesus, our apostle and our high priest. Apostle, someone who is sent to represent, to extend, to establish God's kingdom. That's what the apostle meant, the sent one, the one that would go and establish God's kingdom where it hadn't been established before. That's why Jesus is the archetypal apostle, sent from God to establish God's kingdom here on earth. We are called to be an apostolic church because we are sent to establish God's kingdom wherever we are placed. And that's why we talk about the the vision, the heartbeat of our church is for you and I to be the church, to be the sent ones in the places and with the people where God has put us. That's, That's what it means to be the church, that we would be sent in order to establish God's kingdom. Apostle and high priest. The high priest was the one who represented all the priests 
And the priestly function of the Old Testament was only a shadow, Hebrews would say, of the real thing. It wasn't the real deal. It was just anticipating what was coming. And the high, the priest of the Old Testament was the person who made it possible for us to be in God's presence. To be in God's presence. And so you have this double helix of the DNA of the way that Jesus lived and the way that he calls us to live of being those who are sent, but also being those who are in his presence. Can you see those two things there about Jesus? We're, we're ones that are sent and we're those who are in his presence. So focus on Jesus by being with him, the Hebrew writer is saying, by recognizing that he is the high priest, by being with him, by being in God's presence, and by being sent out. And that's the rhythm of Jesus. Can you see that in the life of Jesus? That he, that he, he lived with that rhythm. Where's Jesus, they'd say? Disappeared, can't find him. They're looking everywhere for him. They don't know where he's gone. And then they remember that he'd slipped out early in the morning up the mountainside to pray. And there were other times when it's like, well, where's Jesus gone? And he'd slipped off to do what, it says? To be in his father's presence. To relate to his father. So there were very much times of retreat for Jesus. That was important to him. But there were also equally times of advance. If we think about Jesus slipping away up into the mountains, you cannot say that Jesus didn't live a life of advancing God's kingdom in the here and now. Confronting the powers of darkness. Challenging the status quo. Speaking out for the poor and the oppressed. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So there was retreat and advance. There was contemplation and confrontation. Jesus was with God and lived for God. Can you see those two things hand in hand going together side by side? Hello? Yeah? You all there? Good. It's a really important part of understanding the way the gospel presents Jesus, and we find that the writer to the Hebrews and and Paul again and again and again draws out these themes of retreat and advance, of contemplation and confrontation, of being with God and for God. Now, the the secret, the gold, the, the reality is when we get both. And what typically happens in our Christian lives is that we feel more comfortable with one rather than the other. So we lean into the one that we're most comfortable with. And you can see that, can't you? There are in Christian organizations, some Christian organizations that, right, we're going to, we're going to take the whole world for Jesus this afternoon. And there are other Christian organizations that say, come away and let's be quiet and let's be still and let's enjoy God's presence and worship together. Neither of those are right or or, or wrong. They're both right. But we need, as the people of God, to embody both at the same time or in in a rhythm side by side. 
And we will naturally have an affinity with one rather than the other. And I don't know if you can see what your affinity is. Do we do stuff for Jesus instead of being with Jesus? I know sometimes you hear the phrase, well, I'm a practical Christian. Which is basically, I get on and do the stuff while the rest of you sit around. But it's also, I express my faith by doing things which can also be, a, I'm, I'm an activist because I find it hard to be still in God's presence. Or, equally we hear, well, um, if, if only we just spent more time uh, 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 just being in God's presence, being with Jesus, and then we forget about going and living for Jesus. And that's equally true, isn't it? It's equally a challenge that, that we, uh, up and down uh, the country, maybe all around the world, people will be in God's presence today and will worship him, but, but it won't impact what happens tomorrow. So there are challenges both sides. There are comforts both ends of, of that spectrum. And I don't know where you feel that you are in that. Are you more in the retreat Or are you more in the advance? Are you more contemplative or confrontational? Are you more with God or for God? Because the the genius, the, the release of God's beauty and power in our lives is when we get those two things in sync. And that's what we need to be faithful in. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house, verse 2. The key is to be faithful in both. And we can see that, can't we? If Jesus spent all his time up a mountain, we wouldn't be here today, would we? And if all Jesus did was to go out and wasn't connected with the Father, we wouldn't be here today. You cannot, it's a, it's a, it, one doesn't work without the other. It makes no sense without the other. If Jesus didn't carry the presence of God into the places that he went, uh, we wouldn't be, if Jesus wasn't connected with God on the cross, then it, we, we wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't be here today. We achieve uh, nothing either way. So we're called to be faithful. Faithful, which is a obedience over the long haul. That's what faithfulness is, isn't it? So celebrating 10 years of a time to sow is a real great thing, isn't it? Because it's obedience over the long haul. It's, the, it's Wednesday morning and I don't feel like it, but I'm all in, do you know? It's been a difficult time, but I'm still faithful to that sense of, of call that God's placed on my life. And faithfulness builds depth, builds depth. And, and it's hard to quantify depth, isn't it? When, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to join with the Time to Sew for a, uh, a little while on Wednesday as they celebrated their 10th anniversary. And there is something in the air. It sounds daft, doesn't it? But you know what I mean, don't you? You know, you can sense something in, in, the, in the room. There's a depth and a capacity that wasn't there at the beginning but was produced through faithfulness. Obedience over the long haul. And you'll also know this, won't you, in someone's life. If I say to you, who do you know that has a deep walk with God? And people will come into our mind, won't they, that have really, really got a deep walk with God. And, and you'll be able to go, they've been faithful. They, they've done that for, for years. And it's not surprising, is it, that uh, then that principle gets translated into other things. You know, if you, uh, if you do something 10,000 times, you'll be a genius at it. So crack on, everybody, you know. 
uh, that magical number of, I don't know how you know when you get to 10,000, really. Uh, there's an app for that, I'm sure, you know. I've hit this forehand uh, 10,000 times, and I'm all there. Margaret, have you done that? Badly, badly 10,000 times. Well, the theory goes. Uh, but obedience in the same direction creates a depth. And, and, and if, we're, if we're going to do something faithfully for a long period of time, then we need to do it in a sustainable way. Sustainability is really important. And that takes us back to the balance. Jesus sustained his ministry. He sustained his emotional energy. He sustained his ability to be who God wanted him to be in the moment by the balance of contemplation and confrontation of retreat and and advance. We need to live in a sustainable way. And that means that we need to allow God to help us grow more by evolution than revolution. More by slowly allowing uh, myself to grow so that it's sustainable. The trouble is sometimes we go, I'm going to fix something. You know, I'm going to fix whatever it is. I'm going to fix my contemplation. So I'm going to spend an an hour with God every morning. Well, if you haven't been doing that, you, you probably won't be able to do that this week. Or you will, but you'll crash and burn after this week or the next week. That's not to be pessimistic. That's just a, a reality about the way we need to lean into that. You with me? Does that make sense? You know, we need to lean in, don't we, to, to, to stuff. So we're looking for, for incremental, incremental, uh, growth in our, in our lives. To be sustainable, we need to learn to be with Jesus and to live for Jesus, and to develop a depth and a capacity in both. And that's why, as we focus on Jesus, we're building a family. We're building a family. And we've heard so much about that already this morning, haven't we? About the strength of building a family. See how it's uh, addressed here in verse uh, 6, but Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. And this is a whole section uh, of, about Jesus being more superior to Moses. And they thought Moses was a pr- pretty cool guy. And, and we think Moses uh, is a pretty cool guy. And we can track all that Moses did in liberating the Israelites out of slavery and, and, and help us to understand how wonderful Jesus is in the light of that. That would be a really good and important thing for us to, to do and to think about. But just hear this in this little, this little kind of um, microcosm. Uh, Moses got to preside over a tent. But Jesus, way more superior than Moses, gets to uh, preside over God's house, and we are God's house. That's the way God works, isn't it? What started as a bit of canvas, a tent, a bit of sheepskin or goatskin or calfskin, whatever they used to make a tent, we are now God's house. And notice how verse 1 is addressed. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, we are building a family. 
And building a family will help sustain us. And being sustained will help us be faithful. And being faithful to the two things that God, that Jesus sets out, the apostle and the high priest, being faithful in his presence and, and uh, taking his kingdom into the world, is the life to which God's called us. So we need each other. Unashamedly, we, we need each other for the life that God's called us to. And we need each other, not by doing tasks or events, but we need each other, if Hebrews is to believe, if the way that Jesus lived, calling people around him to be family, by building a family. So a really important question in everything that we do together, and it's why I I, I applaud you, encourage you, cheer you on to come to the church weekend, because the the real question is, how can I deepen relationships? Because that's what creates family. You with me? How can I deepen relationships? Just a few thoughts about that. We need to have a posture that thinks relationship, not task. So what's the success of something? The success of something is not necessarily or just what we do. So time to sow, to use that as our case study this morning. Thank you, Elizabeth, for being such a perfect case study. Time to Sow has some tasks associated with it in terms of producing some things through the medium of sowing. So what we could have heard this morning is lots of completed projects. They made this tablecloth, and they made this shirt, and they repaired this, and they made that beautiful mosaic, or whatever it might be, uh, all kinds of creativity. That's the task, and that's very valuable. That's a beautiful thing in God's creative purpose. But but encased or transcending that, overarching of that, the atmosphere around that is even more important because the atmosphere is relationships. And that's who we are. That's what we're called to be, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Relationships at the heart of everything. And so when we speak about a great 10 years, we end up talking about the quality of the relationships. Can you see that? And that's what's important. And so as we think about our community life, as we think about when we gather, be it for whatever the task is, even here on a Sunday, the success of it is ultimately measured in the quality of our relationships. And in the various places where God has put Kerry and I, we'll often talk about how did that go, and it won't be about the task. It'll be about the level of relational interaction we had with the people through the process. Because that's what God's calling us to ultimately, isn't he? To build relationships, to build family. So a posture of relationship, not task. And to build a family, you need proximity. We do have to spend time with each other. And the the thing about relationships is that uh, proximity and variety need to go together. So you will know that if you only see people here on a Sunday, and I've said this, uh, you know, numerous occasions, but it's uh, always worth repeating because I need to be reminded of it as much as as you, you will have a similar conversation with the same people today as you had last week, won't you? That's just how relationships work. But if you were to see that person in another context, a, a variety, a different space, something different 
qualitatively different will happen in your relationships. So if you come into my home, even for a short period of time, the dynamic of our relationship will change. Can you see that? And that's why community level is so important, because we can have a variety and an interaction that's different in different contexts. And that's what builds a depth of relationship. So posture, proximity, two Ps, and then two Vs, variety, and then finally, vulnerability. If you want your relationships to go, woo, if you want to build a family, then be more honest. Vulnerability is what builds relationships. It's what builds trust. It's what builds truth. Proximity, variety, sorry, posture, proximity, variety, vulnerability. And as we come into communion in a few moments' time, what's the fuel that drives all this? Where does the energy come from? Where does the life come from? Where does the the come from to live this life of contemplation and confrontation, advance and retreat, to be faithful over the long haul, to put our efforts into relationships, which at the end of the day is a lot harder than getting the task done. I can tick the tasks off and I can get them done and I can scurry back to be myself. But to invest in relationships requires more of me for that posture, that proximity, that vulnerability and variety. Where does the fuel come from? The fuel comes. Can you see it there at the end of verse 6? The fuel comes from hope, from being hope-filled, which takes us right back to verse 1, where it says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. We are people of hope because we share in the heavenly calling. Our journey with Jesus is from heaven, and it's for heaven, and it's to heaven. Can you see that? Just as Jesus was from heaven, for heaven, to heaven. So that's true of the life that you and I are now caught up in. It's from heaven, for heaven, and to heaven. That's the hope. That we are part of something that transcends, that's bigger than the here and now. We serve, we seek We transform the world around us, but we know that in the end, we are part of a bigger story that's not limited by the here and now. We are part of a bigger story that's not limited by human resources or human energy or human intellect or human understanding. We are part of a story that transcends the here and now, which means we can have confidence even when everything is falling apart. Because we're not locked into the here and now. We're part of a bigger story. And that's the hope that needs to fill our lives day by day. That's the hope that we need to wake up with in the morning. That's the hope that we need to declare as we lay our head down at night. That's the hope that we need to push into through the long watches of the day. That we're part of a bigger, better story. And I love this benediction that uh, Paul writes in Romans 15, verse 13. It's the fuel. And if you feel like you need filling up, this is the fuel. This is the fuel. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 
so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just receive that for a moment. These are life-giving words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you receive it? May the God of hope from heaven, for heaven, to heaven. The God of hope who calls us into a bigger, better story. A God whose grip on our lives transcends everything else. Fill you with all joy and peace. A gift to you in Christ. As you trust in him. As you fix your gaze on him. So that you may overflow with hope. Life-giving fuel. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Clap.